here. Um, it is Super Bowl Sunday, amen? So thank you for being here on Super Bowl Sunday and worshiping with us, or whether you are here or you're watching us online or checking us out later, hopefully we will sort out the audio issues. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray, Lord, that um, you would help us to hear from you and remove distractions of every kind. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged by the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray, God, that we would just grow in love with you and be so, so hungry for you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm sure that you've heard the news, something like 33,000 people dead. Um, every single day, the numbers keep going up. Um, it, it's overwhelming to think about death on this scale. It's, it's also true that a whole bunch of us here in this room and in our church family have had to bury people in the last few weeks, people very close to them. And last week, we really talked about the spiritual significance of the place in the story that we're in. So we're in the book of Joshua in a series we're calling Kingdom in the Chaos. Kingdom in the Chaos. Because our lives are chaos. But God is the king, and he is bringing his order into a chaotic situation. He is actually changing things. He's making things that are broken. He's making them whole. He's making people who are broken. <laughs> and he's making us whole. Amen? And so I would just really encourage you to go back and, and listen to that sermon um, where we just get into, in, the, in, a, in a short way, just the significance, the spiritual significance of crossing the Jordan and entering into the promised land. That is, every single person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ has this hope that they will open their eyes. They'll close their eyes in this life, and they'll open their eyes in the next life, and they will see him face to face. Now, every issue that you've ever had with money, that you've ever had with depression, every issue that you've ever had with anxiety or your family, any trauma that you've ever experienced, it will be unimaginably worth it when you see God face to face. It says in Revelation that he will wipe away our tears with his own hand. Like he has a plan to fix you up so much that he could touch you. Like God will touch you. And he will not shrink back like, ugh. And anyone who's really in touch and really sane and not just, just lying to themselves knows how big of a deal that is, right? On a, you know, on an honest night when we're really still in our thoughts and we really know who we are, it blows our minds that God actually accepts us, doesn't it? He accepts us, all the stuff we did. He loves us. That's why he sent his son to die for us. So I would encourage you to go and listen to that message. 
But we are going to continue on in the story. I'm going to read a little bit that we read last week and continue it on. It's in Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 10. And you can follow along. It says that while the Israelites camped at Gilgah on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, the day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. Somebody say land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or are you our enemies? You with our enemies? Neither, he said. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed his face to the ground in homage and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place you were standing is holy. And Joshua did that. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 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 So I just wanted you to notice a few things as we look at this passage. And the first one is that they ate the food of Canaan. (laughs) They ate the food of Canaan. Last week we talked about how they consecrated themselves. They took the Passover. Before that, they all got circumcised. Why? Because all the fighting age men, they weren't born yet because they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. So nobody that was young enough to fight was alive to see God deliver his people from Egypt. And so they took all these men and they circumcised them. And then this is one of the first things they do after they cross the Red Sea, I mean the Jordan River, and they circumcise themselves and they take, they, 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 they observe the Passover, right? They celebrate Passover. And then what do they do? They're eating the food of the land. And then what happens after they eat the food of the land? The manna's done. Do you remember what happened with the manna? Like God's people were wandering around for 40 years in the desert, and they would wake up, and there'd be these little wafers on the ground that they could eat. God miraculously fed his people in the wilderness. He miraculously provided when they had nothing. We need to understand God's timing and the different seasons that he has for us. You know, sometimes we get what I call a season pass. <laughs> we get a season pass. Um, the, uh, the other day, I was talking about this with our sister Lil, right? I was talking with Lily, and it's like, you know, she's driving around in a car, and the car is like jerking around and shutting off randomly, and she goes and she gets AAA, and they try to figure out what's wrong with the car. And then all of a sudden, the car just works, right? 
The car just works. Now, they, now, now here's there's two things going on, right? There's two things going on. There is a season pass for our sister Lil. A lot of us know about this. There are times of healing. There are seasons of encouragement that just don't make sense. There are seasons of power from God that just don't make sense. But they were never meant to be like forever, right? And so she also got that thing red. You know, you go to the mechanic and they put the little machine in there and they pull up the codes and they see what parts are needed. And those parts, all those parts that are broken, explain all the problems that she's been having in her car. And so she needs to get those new parts eventually, right? She needs to get the car fixed. God's plan to provide manna for his people in the wilderness was a season pass. But now they're in the land that he had promised to them and their grandchildren and their children and their children's children. God's plan was for the people to settle down. God's plan was for the people to, like, have homes and farms and be able to work with their hands and see the fruit of their labor and eat the fruit of the land that God had given them. And this is difficult for us, you know. It's like, it's like sometimes we need to grow up. Sometimes we need to move out of always moving from season past to season past. Sometimes our whole spiritual life, we're looking for manna, and God is putting a hoe in our hands to plow the field. But we're like, nah, we just want to come and collect the manna. <laughs> we, we just want to come and get the free bread. We don't want to build buildings. We don't want to make dams in the river and like irrigate our fields and do, and it's like this is actually better. This is a provision from God. God was going to give them all that land. He was going to give them the whole nation. And that's what he did. <laughs> Amen? That's what he did. God wants you to learn how to cope with greater provision than you can imagine right now. I know that's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Those people had lived their whole life either wandering around in the wilderness or as slaves in Egypt. And now they're ushering into a new season where they're going to have their own nation, their own land, their own place so they can settle in. And God wants you to shift the mindsets as he gives you more, right? As he blesses you, as he encourages you. He doesn't want you to constantly be in the same mindset where you are always looking to him to bail you out of bad situations that you put yourself in. He, he wants you to grow up in him. He wants you to build some stuff. Amen? You know, that friend that has a bed, that might be manna from heaven when you were like 19. <laughs> that relationship that you got that's like less toxic than the one before, that might feel like manna from heaven. And these things that we, these compromises and these situations we put ourselves in, we think, well, it's better than it was before. It's not Egypt. It's not the wilderness. But I want you to know that God actually is calling you to more. 
He's calling you to more. He didn't call you to just depend on him in the same way. He wants to share with you the pride of developing some stuff and making some provisions for yourself, but also for those around you. He really does. He wants you to give to your kids and their grandkids. He wants you to be there for them. He wants you to pray for them. He wants you to be not a sapling, right, in the crack of the sidewalk. You know those little weed trees that start breaking up all the concrete? God wants you to be an oak of righteousness where you can, like, have people come and they can, like, hang out under the branches when it's raining. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Like I, I, I think about that. I think about being, you know, in that situation where, you know, I got a new, I got, well, it wasn't new. I got this, um, my first car I ever got was a Volvo, um, one of those wooden panel ones, super ugly. <laughs> and uh, it was a station wagon. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> People point and laugh at me in the Ford Focus now. But they were also laughing at me in high school, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah, look at that thing. You know what I mean? And um, I remember, you know, driving on black ice and spinning around and knocking into a, 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 a cement wall. <laughs> and it, like, bent the frame up. And then... Uh, our church was big. We probably had like 700 people in it. And one of the, one of the deacons was a, w- w- was worked in the shop of the Volvo dealer. <laughs> and so I, I was able to go, and they were able to like yank the frame out and do some fix on it. And like it was all a hookup. It was all manna, amen? <laughs> and I, I, re- I remember him telling me this, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm like 18 years old. And I remember him saying to me, you know, Anything that is just given to something, you know, if you're just giving it to you, like you don't appreciate it. You don't take care of it. I didn't understand what he was saying then. I was like, can you please fix my car? I don't like taking the train and the bus anymore. (laughs) But God has bigger plans than for you to go from just couch to couch, hookup to hookup, right? He, he, he wants you to develop stuff. And the other thing that I want us to see is that Christians, right, we are both pilgrims, but we're also settled. Like, there is a truth for us that, like, I, I talked about how, you know, God's people going across the River Jordan. It's a picture of going into heaven. It's a picture of being established a picture of the kingdom of God and the fullness that when when it'll come, when Jesus comes and all that stuff. But there's also a truth in that God wants us to also be settled. Now, God's people would rebel against him. They'd get in the land, they'd have their nation, they'd have their kings, but of course they would fall away and they would disobey God. And he would raise up other, other nations against Israel And there's this prophet named Jeremiah, and he's writing, and he's in the ruined city of Jerusalem, and he's writing this letter to the people who are exiled in Babylon. And this is what he says in chapter 29, verse 4. He says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says 
to all the exiles. Again, the context of this is a letter sent by Jeremiah and the elders who are in this ruined city to the exiles. To the exiles I deported from Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Babylon. That's interesting. God did it. <laughs> Their enemies took them out and deported them. But it was God, right? God knows where we are going to be, and he moves us from place to place. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Produce the wealth. Pursue the well-being of the city that I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it thrives, you will thrive. Do you get what, you see what's happening? God's people are in a heathen land, a place they were captured, right? A place where they were kidnapped and they were ripped from their homeland. And the elders in that ruined city are saying to these exiles, they're saying, listen, Pray for the peace. Pray for the welfare. Pray for the blessing of the place that I have sent you. In fact, I want you to get married. I want you to increase. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to build up this, the place. And then later in verse 10 it says, For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Amen. Now a lot of us have maybe seen you know, the, the, the knitted version of that, just that verse, verse uh, um, 11, right? We, we've got the, we got it on the, um, on the refrigerator. You got the little, like, beautiful artwork, the precious moment artwork. God has great plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans, you know what I mean? And we remove it entirely from the story of the Bible. And if we didn't just read the verse before it, we wouldn't know what it's about. But God is saying to his people, look, you're going to be stuck in captivity for 70 years. What does that mean? That means a whole lot of people that read this letter would have died before they seen the plan of God. Did you hear what I said? A whole lot of people would have died before they seen these plans of prosperity. I want you to know this, that a lot of times we take God's promises and we make them small enough for us. <laughs> we make them small enough for us. We think that it's our day, our week, and God doesn't think in terms of days. He thinks in terms of millennia. We, we think in terms of our family, and if we're honest, sometimes we're not even thinking about our family or our kids. We think in terms of us and just trying to carve out some happiness for us right now. And God doesn't just think about families. He thinks about nations. 
God moves in a way that's completely different than we expect. They were in exile, but they were called to get rooted. They were called to pray and pursue the blessing of everyone around them. I remember when we were in, um, in Philly, we had uh, ministry in Kensington, and in the upstairs room, we had the youth room, and somebody did some spray paint real good, and they, we, we, we called that room the hang room. And a lot, of, a lot of ministries would do this, right? And hang stood for hope assured for the next generation. And the verse that they, they graffitied all over the wall was this Jeremiah passage, right, that I know that I have plans for you. And I, what I'm saying is that not that these words aren't for everyone, but that they're bigger than just your momentary life. It's bigger than the, than the like, job you're currently trying to get a promotion in. It's, it's bigger than, you know, you trying to overcome the current sickness that you're in. It's multi-generational. And it's all in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't come for just you. When you read this letter in context, the whole thing is about, listen, you're going to be a people of peace, a people of shalom. And this is what's happening, right? God has brought his people across the Jordan, and now they are eating the land. They are cultivating the land. They are planting gardens. They are, you know what I mean, they're getting married. They're having children. They're getting established. This is God's will. Man, we see it. We see them settled, and yet they're in a foreign land. Why? Why? Well, I love this, you know. When we meet the commander of the Lord's army, what happens? Do you remember? What does he tell them? What does he tell Joshua? Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And, and this is what I want you to catch. This is a beautiful thing. This heathen ground becomes holy ground when the Lord is there. Amen? Now, listen to me. That God means for us to claim places and to see him work in places that are completely objected to him, that don't want to do nothing with him. You know, and, and who is the commander of the Lord's army? I, I don't know. Maybe it was Michael, right, the archangel. Maybe it was Jesus, like a pre-incarnate Jesus coming. I, I don't know, but I do know that he represented God, right? He represented the reality that God was coming into this land and that Joshua wasn't really the one in charge of the army of the Lord, that it was really God himself. Do you hear what I'm saying? Joshua wasn't the one really going to do what we're going to read in the next few verses next week when the walls of Jericho come falling down. This is so important for every single one of us. We are not going to experience any victory in our life publicly if we haven't experienced victory privately with God. Joshua is meeting right away from the camp with this messenger of God, if not God himself. And what happens? He is changed. He is transformed. He sees this man and he surrenders his life. And what we have to do, we are going to have victory in every area of our life. 
We have to first admit defeat to God himself and let him be the victor of our life. You know, it's a short passage, but it's a powerful one. And God has, you know, he's, he's gathering his people. Remember, he gathered his people and he consecrated them. They all had to get circumcised, right? They crossed the river. First, thing, first things first, like, you got to get consecrated. <laughs> you got to get cleaned up. You got to remember that you're my people and you're supposed to live differently. You're not supposed to live like all the people in the land that I'm bringing you to. And now, just like he did that for the people, he's doing that in a special way for Joshua. As Joshua gets to talk to the commander of the Lord's army. Face to face. Joshua had to be reminded of these things. He had to be reminded that he wasn't really in charge. He had to be reminded that a victory was only going to come through surrender, right? That, it, that, that he had to be reminded of all these things. Our brother Chris prayed, prayed about this revival that's happening in Asbury. So what happened was there was a chapel service. Um, so you go to a Christian college sometimes you have to go to chapel one hour a week and um it's mandatory <laughs> so you show up <laughs> and the hour is done and that was five days ago and it's still full of people they haven't left they started sending buses from other schools. I know people look getting tickets to fly down. I read this about it. This was in day three, a couple days ago. It said no one person is in charge. No one dared to get in the way of what God was doing. Reconciliation forgiveness and healing were in this place. And an announcement was made that at least two other universities were busing their students to the revival and that they're on their way. I read another update last yesterday. And they said that they're camped out on Romans 12. And the themes that keep popping up is confession of sin repentance and love in action <laughs> do you hear what i said hear what i said because what happens is, is that like people are thinking like oh they're just getting they're singing on no people are confessing the stuff they did in front of everybody else and experiencing freedom they're experiencing liberation right they're experiencing healing and every time I think about this, every article I read, every time I see a clip of them worshiping, like I just imagine these kids and these students and these teachers and administrators, and they don't care about class. They're like, God has showed up, and he's doing something right now, and we don't want to miss it. And we know, right, we know, we know from history that the devil doesn't ignore these, these movements either. <laughs> he never takes a day off. He can't stop it, right? Just like God adds to his own, he adds to his own. And as the veil 
is torn down and people experience this starvation for God. And they start to see with their eyes, they start to see things that are unseen, right? It's like the scales drop off their eyes. There's also all kinds of goofy stuff that happens around the edges of it. And that's how it is with every true move of God, right? There was a man named Jonathan Edwards who, who was there during the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening that happened in America. And he studied this. And there were a lot of ministers that were freaking out. That, 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 like, they resisted it. They didn't want people coming together to pray. They didn't want certain people coming and preaching in their church. They were scared and afraid because people were fainting. People were crying. People were having these extreme reactions when they heard the word of God, right? It was, it was like not, it was not classy. It was not old school church. It freaked them out. And, and Edwards was like, yeah, you know, like, the, the, the issue is, is that we, we do need to study, like, what is going on? And he, and he wanted to dig deep, like, what's real, what's not real? And, 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 he, and he talks about this because there's all these accusations that this stuff is all noise and no transformation. And so he, he, he came up with these, the, he, he was investigating these things. He says, true revival, it raises the esteem of Jesus Christ in people's eyes. It's not real revival if people are just like, it's just about them, their healing, their self-esteem, their money. No, it's like Jesus is everything. It, it operates against Satan's interests by discouraging sin. Do you know that in times of revival, <laughs> that like, well, it starts in Acts, right? In Acts, people got so upset because Paul preached and the idol makers started going out of business. People stopped buying the idols and they took all these books and they burned them. And what were in the books? Well, the books were like how to cook certain drugs, how, how, you know, all kinds of pornography and that kind of stuff. And they were just taking it and they were burning it. And they are like, no, this is not what we want to do. That was a sign of revival. Do you hear what I'm saying? And, and, and it made people mad because it, what happens is that when there's genuine move of God, people get serious about him. And that means that they also get serious about their sin. And it discourages the work of the devil. It causes men to have a greater regard for the Holy Scriptures. Real revival doesn't cause people to like, I don't need the Bible anymore. God talks to me directly. What? <laughs> Real revival makes people understand how unbelievably blessed we are to have this gift, of which we can weigh and judge all the things that happen in our lives. And maybe it is God speaking to us, but guess what? We have this compass. <laughs> We can, we, can, we can weigh and judge it against this, this gift that God has given us. It, 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 it's a spirit of truth which convicts them to the truth of the gospel. It's a spirit of love towards men and God. And this is one of the biggest things that happens in revival, is that there's this overwhelming flood and sense that you are loved by God and that his presence is here. 
Can we pray for this? Can we pray for this in Gloucester City? Can we pray that the commander of the Lord's army comes, that we get out from the busyness of the camp of the acacia trees where all the drama's happening, where we get out from all the whiteboard planning meetings, all the things that we think we have to do to accomplish our goals, where we get to be with God himself and be strengthened by his presence, and then we're able to march on around Jericho and see the walls fall down. And so I'm saying, I don't ever want to get in the way of what God is doing just because I don't understand every aspect of it. But I believe that we ought to encourage and pray for it to spread. I think about this for some of my kids. Like, I think about my kids growing up. There has not been a mass renewal in America since the 90s. It's been a long time since we've seen people praying for seven days straight. Filled with the Holy Ghost. We don't want to discourage that. We crazy. We want to see God move. We want to see God move. There's a, a, a movie that's coming out called The Jesus Revolution. I'm going to watch it. I would encourage you to watch it. It's, it's all about these people that were called, they were part of the, the Jesus people, right? And it was, it was a crazy day. You know what I mean? You had the hippie movement, the counterculture movement, and in the church it was like, yeah, anyone that didn't fit like this mold wasn't going to ever enter into a church, right? And, and they were like, they blew the doors wide open on that, and there was like healing breaking out, and the kingdom of God was being manifest, and there was all these movements that popped out of it, like the Calvary Chapel and Vineyard, and all these churches were being planted left and right. Listen, I want to see, I want to see the teenagers that are coming up have an experience where they go and they are just absolutely starving for God. And they see his power. So let's pray for a hunger for God. Let's surrender to him. Let's meet him. And I know I have in different times in my life, but I want us to experience this together. Father God, I pray, Lord, that we would have these experiences, Lord, these strengthening private experiences that, that cause us, Lord, to be strengthened in our soul and then to be able to march on for you. Lord, help us to stand on holy ground. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, God, for bringing us together. And Lord, we pray, Father, we would be able to worship you in spirit and truth tonight. Amen.